All I can say is thank God for Facebook memories sometimes that remind us of certain events and birthdays that we were supposed to remember. I got on Facebook this morning and just kind of started playing around and was reminded that today is one of my nephew's ninth birthdays. And as has a tendency to happen when you start thinking about birthdays, you start thinking about times in the past and, and how quickly they've grown up and where the time went. And I started thinking about when he was growing up, he was the third of the three boys, and me and Anna tried our best to give him things to do outside and ways to, to disengage from being inside all the time. And so games that came about when we were growing up with him was this. Old Reliables, Red Light, Green Light, Simon Says, The Quiet Game. And perhaps one of my favorites, Follow the Leader. Although the same question happens every time you play follow the leader. If you've ever been a teacher, a parent, a grandparent, or just worked with children at all, you know what question comes up every time you say we're going to play follow the leader. And the question is, yeah, y'all know it, can I be the leader? And I started thinking about growing up um, how he would always ask, can I be the leader? And, I, and as my preacher brain works, I started thinking about this idea of so often when Jesus says, follow me, we say, okay, but can I be the leader? And, and I want to take a step back before we even dive into that to look at this idea of um, in Matthew chapter 4. And I know that our, tech, or our bulletin says that we're going to be in Matthew 7, and we will. We're going to get there eventually. But in Matthew chapter 4, there's some familiar texts that we hear about where, where Jesus is walking around and he sees fishermen. And what is his call to them? Come and follow me. And likewise, he keeps going. He sees a couple of other guys that are doing their own work, and he says, come and follow me. And I've always kind of been astounded that they do. Now, and I think so often we gloss over it because we go, well, of course they do. It's Jesus. Come on. Of course they follow him. But I think there's something more at play, and, and in order to understand that, we need to understand the, the Jewish educational system. And so just a brief overview, I know that there's a lot more to it, but just a brief overview, when a boy is about 6 to 10 years old, he begins, and I'm going to butcher these pronunciations, so if I'm wrong, just bear with me, Betsifer, which is known as the house of the book. And, and when they go throughout this, what they're doing is they are learning the book of the law. They memorize Genesis through Deuteronomy. Some of us struggle to memorize four or five verses. They're memorizing whole books. And after that, some of them say, you know what? I'm done here. I'm going to go take on the family trade. I'm going to go work with my father as a carpenter or fisherman or whatever he does. 
But those who showed promise go on and, and enroll at Bet Talmud, which is the house of learning. And this is for folks that are about 10 to 14 years old, and they memorize Joshua through Malachi. And they learn the art of, as we see so often, Jesus does this, answering a question with a question. Don't you know that their parents are just so excited that they're learning that? And then the cream of the crop go on to Bet Midrash, which is known as the house of study. And this is for, for folks that are boys that are 15 and up. And they study under a rabbi. Now, when I say the cream of the crop, they don't just get to select, hey, I want to go study under a rabbi. But what happens is rabbis would grill them on their knowledge, and then they would deem them worthy or not. And if worthy, they were invited, come and follow me. And, and I, I keep thinking about kind of our American educational system and how so frequently we, we kind of reflect those types of things and I start thinking about, well, okay, so high school, we kind of learn, and then some folks say, I'm going to go on to college, and some folks say, I'm going to go and learn a trade, because this is what, what I'm called and created to do. And so some go to college, and after they graduate from college, some say, okay, now I'm going to go into the work field, and some say, no, I'm going to go to grad school. And I'm reminded of when I was applying for seminary, waiting on those letters to return of acceptance or lack thereof. And to receive that letter of acceptance was a huge honor, and to receive that calling from a rabbi was as well. You see, I think too often we, we hear the term disciple and we think we understand it as a student. And that's a, a good translation, but I think a better translation is that of an apprentice. One that, that follows and seeks to be just like their teacher. And so now as you understand this, you understand that when Jesus shows up to the disciples and he says, come and follow me as your rabbi and teacher, how honored they are. And that you understand that the goal of the disciples is to be just like their teacher. And I just want to take a moment and say, while our culture today may be different, the invitation and the goal from Christ Jesus is just the same. Come and follow me to be a disciple, a student, an apprentice of my way. And so this is what we hear in Matthew 4. The calling of the disciples, follow me. He, he's inviting them to a new way of life, of a new way of doing things, a way in which his kingdom's values are perpetuated over the ways of the world. Dallas Willard, world-renowned theologian in his book, Living in Christ's Presence, says this. The many think of Jesus as Savior, the one who will get us into heaven. All true, all good. 
So the question becomes, have I accepted Jesus as my Savior? He goes on and says this, but we've never asked the question, have I accepted Jesus as my teacher? And this is the real question about discipleship. It begins there. They began by accepting Christ as their teacher and then accepting him as their savior, which included, of course, their eternal destiny because that's a natural outflow of following the way of Christ. And so he's pointing out this idea that many of us say, yeah, absolutely, I want Jesus Christ to be my Savior, but I don't want it to change anything about the way in which I live. I just need my my fire insurance, for lack of a better way of putting it. I just need to know that I'm not going to hell when I die, but I just want to keep doing what I want to do. And so we say, yeah, I'll play follow the leader. But then we do like I did when I was in elementary school and we start to look around and go, hey, Mallory, just follow me. I know we're supposed to be following them. Just follow me. And all of a sudden you end up with two separate lines that have broken off because we don't want to follow the leader. We want to be the leader. And so pop quiz on biblical understanding and what happens in scriptures. You ready? What happens after Matthew chapter 4? Nobody? This is not a trick question, I promise you. Matthew chapter 5 is the answer. I saw saw some of you going, I don't want to be the smart aleck that just throws that out there as my answer. Matthew chapter 5 happens. And in Matthew chapter 5, you hear the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount lasts for about two chapters. And I dare say this. You want to know Jesus' teachings? Go read those two chapters. Go read those two chapters to understand who Christ is and what Christ is calling us to be. Because it is the most comprehensive teaching of the way of Jesus Christ that you will get. It is the best understanding of what it means to be a human and truly human on earth. You see, when Jesus says, follow me, follow my way, what we begin to understand is something that's historically accurate that's this. The first Christians did not refer to themselves as Christians. They referred to themselves as followers of the way. Meaning that Jesus, as he would proclaim, is the way, and he is the one to be followed. That that there's multiple rabbis that would teach you different ways, but but that the the true way that we are called to live is by following Christ Jesus. As a matter of fact, the term Christian was actually one that was put on them by other people as a political term because they were those people that pushed back against Caesar and Herod, and all of a sudden they said, oh, well, they belong to the party of Jesus. And if you don't believe me, go look at Acts at the beginning of the early church. In Acts 24, verse 14, you hear this. This I admit to you, that according to the way which they call a sect, 
I worship the God of our ancestors, believing everything laid down according to the law or written in the prophets. And so they were followers of the way of Christ Jesus. And they would tell you that the way was a whole new way of life. It was something different than what they had been doing or had been told to do. It was a teaching in the most comprehensive sense, if you will. And so I have to ask the question. Because I think if we're not careful, we can fall into this. Have we reduced the idea of following Christ Jesus to simply a set of beliefs and a belief statement. We utter each Sunday our Apostles' Creed, which is good, great, and wonderful. But if we settled for that, or if we understood that the call to follow Christ Jesus is a mission statement, that as we go forth, our mission is to follow Christ wherever we go, to present Christ's love to this world. I had the opportunity to share with the football team this past Friday. And I shared with them that what moves a team from being good to great is a transition from being convinced of something to being committed to something. And I think that a lot of us, if we're honest, are convinced that Jesus Christ is our Savior. We're convinced that Jesus Christ existed. We're convinced that Jesus Christ was a good teacher. A good person. We're even convinced that he rose on the third day. But are we committed to it? Because you can be convinced to something but not committed to it. Don't believe me? Watch this. We're all convinced, because we've seen the reports, that eating better is good for our physical health. But what happens when you, when you drive by Krispy Kreme and that light pops on that says hot and fresh? Ooh, wait a minute. We're all, we're all convinced that flossing is good for our dental health, but if you're like me and you've got a dentist appointment coming up this week, you're just praying they don't ask you that question. How frequently do you floss? We're convinced that budgeting is good, something we all need to do. Yet somehow we all manage to walk into Walgreens and Walmart and Target and even go on Amazon without a list in hand. You can be convinced, but not committed. And so as we look at our text this morning, we're coming on the heels of the Sermon on the Mount. And many people would say that the Sermon on the Mount is summed up in Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse 12, where it says this, In everything... Do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter in through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. I do want to take a moment and just let you know that word road in this text is the exact same word that Paul used as the way 
in Acts 24. That there's a, a wide way of this world that says, go and do whatever you see fit, but the way of Jesus Christ is a little bit more narrow and few find it. And I think here's the problem is that we live in a world where everybody would proclaim Jesus Christ is their Savior. Most people in, in Forest, Mississippi, if I was to go sit on the road and say, hey, do you know Jesus is your Lord and Savior? Most people in Forest would go, yup, I sure do. Uh-huh. I'm even a member of such and such church. Now, whether they attend there or not is up for debate, but they're a member of such and such church. And then, But what would happen if you started to actually ask them what if they are actually following the ways of Christ Jesus. You see, many of us have been convinced of who Jesus is, but we're not committed to the way. And we hear in his sermon Jesus proclaiming that there will be those that take the wide way, a way of seeking self-worth and self-gratification, a way of allowing your own desires to be your guide, a way that seeks revenge and trying to get even, a way, as we've talked about in previous weeks, where we allow religiosity to breed self-righteousness because we start playing the comparison game. Where I'm better than they are, I'm further along than them. And this way leads us to a place of ruin, pain, of broken relationships, of lack of purpose and lack of fulfillment. And now I could go off on a whole other tangent and ask this question. What does that way say about the idea of groupthink? where we start to follow other people's desires and what other people tell us. And if the, if the majority is pursuing this way, maybe we need to pause. Because I think what has happened so frequently in the church, if we're not careful, is we start off with good intentions. We start off saying, yes, yes Lord, I'll follow you. And then we find ourselves listening to someone preacher, friend, that says, yeah, you know it says that, but this is what it really means. Yeah, but, and so we veer off just a little bit because we don't like what the scripture is asking us to do. It's something that we wouldn't do for ourselves. It's something that kind of makes us a little uneasy because we don't want to do it. And so we say, ah, Jesus didn't really mean that part of it. I'll follow this one. And then we start going down that path until they say something that we don't like and we don't understand or we don't agree with. And so what do we do? We veer off again. And all of a sudden, we're following our own will and our own way over the way. We're we've made ourselves the leaders as opposed to following the leader. And the idea of the narrow way, I'm reminded of uh, when I used to go, when I was very little, go hunting with my dad, and he would wander off into the woods, and I would follow every footstep because I didn't want to get lost. Because all the trees looked the same. Every one of them. 
And sure enough, we'd find ourselves somewhere in the woods, and he knew where we were, but I had no idea, and I'll be honest with you, could not tell you how to get back to where we started. But I knew I was okay. Why? Because I was with my father. I was following his way. And this is the call of the Christian is to say, you know what, Jesus? I may not know where we're heading and I may not understand because it all looks the same to me. But you know what? I'm going to follow your pathway so closely that when I look up, I don't know how to get back to where I was and I'm grateful for it. This is the narrow way. The way that's not only marked by eternal life, but marked by the fullness of life in the here and now. And you don't get this life by simply believing, but you get this life by following. You don't, you don't get this life by being convinced, but by being committed. Or as I heard in seminary, you don't get this life by believing in, but simply by believing Christ Jesus. If you go back, and I strongly implore you to, to go back and read the Sermon on the Mount, you'll hear over and over again Jesus utter this phrase. You have heard it said that this is the way, but I proclaim to you a new way. Over and over again, he is proclaiming the way of the world, the way of other rabbis and other teachers would call you this way, which is calling you astray. But I call you to something different. I call you to the way where they may say, somebody does wrong to you, get even. I call you to turn the other cheek. You, you, you find yourself going on a path that says, oh, they're against me, I must attack back. But Jesus Christ says, love those that persecute you. You find yourself saying, they're different than me, I can't let them in. And Jesus says, my way is a way of grace and mercy and hope and forgiveness. And so I, I challenge you and implore you to go read the Sermon on the Mount. Because I think you'll be surprised. I'll be honest with you, every time I read it, I'm surprised. Because we found ourselves believing and following ways, and then we read God's way, and we go, wait a minute, I had no idea. We live in a world that questions everything. Everything. Don't believe me? Go turn on the news. Go click on social media. Actually, please don't. But, but you know what I'm talking about. Where you can find any way to promote what you want to promote. And even if it's factually supported, people will go, that's not the truth. This is the truth. Well, why? Because I think it is. We live in a way that questions everything. Yet somehow we have settled when it comes to our faith. We're not willing to question anything. We just say, ah, it's what I was told at one point, so I just believe it. Ah, it's just how I grew up. Ah, 
the words of a dying church, it's the way we've always done it. And we never dive into the scriptures and say, God, what is your will? Your way. Because the way of a Christian, the way of a disciple, the way of an apprentice is this. That you don't follow your own wants and desires. You're not simply convinced, but you're committed to follow the leader wherever they lead. Amen.